The following is brought to you by Total Seal Piston Rings, the leader in ring seal technology. TotalSeal.com Hidden Horsepower is back. Hello, everyone. Joe Costello back with you, WFO Joe. And we have got another episode of Hidden Horsepower. And before we bring in the co-host, before we bring on our guest, I just want to say thank you to everyone out there who is sharing the show and telling your friends about Hidden Horsepower. We have seen explosive growth. It has been fantastic. Now with the Facebook group and the Facebook page and doing a lot of fun things with this podcast feed, the audience is growing. So thank you very much. If you have yet to write a review on Apple Podcasts, please do so. That is very helpful. Rate and review. And of course, share with your friends. If they're into this stuff, they're going to absolutely love Hidden Horsepower. Without further ado, let's bring on the co-host, Mr. Keith Jones the Director of Technical Sales at Total Seal. Keith, welcome back to another episode. Well, thanks for having me again. As, as always, really enjoy doing these. Love our guests. Uh, love the conversations. Uh, I tell you, just couldn't be more excited. Really enjoy doing these things. And, and I, I really appreciate all the positive comments, you know, reach outs. I, I get comments that literally folks from all over the world uh, you know, complimenting us on this and what a unique format is, and they've never seen anything like it. Uh, I did have a gentleman reach out to him the other day with a complaint. Oh, good. And he loved the show. His only comment was, they're too short. He wishes they were like two, two and a half hours. No, he's, so, he's crazy. <laughs> that's a complaint anyway. I had to share that. That was his, that was his issue, is, is they're too short. <laughs> Dear sir, uh, please... 40 minutes of, like, I think that we should do more episodes, but who knows? Who am I to tell the audience? Who am I to tell the audience what they want to hear? And But you got to think about it, right? We've got a great guest today, Tony Bischoff, BES Racing Engines. He's got engines out there in world champions and drag racing everywhere. This is going to be a great conversation, but... The people who listen to podcasts, they got an earbud in, they're working on something, they're increasing their knowledge. And I can imagine if you're looking for secrets, if you're an engine builder, if you want to know the tricks of the trade or what these greatest of the great that are on Hidden Horsepower, uh, the knowledge that they know, of course you want to get them uh, going for two hours straight. So it makes perfect sense. Thank you for that. All right, Keith, are you ready to bring on our guest? Absolutely. All right. From Indiana, Tony Bischoff from BES Racing Engines going to dive in right away. Tony, welcome to Hidden Horsepower. How are you? Hey, I'm doing okay. Good to be here. All right, what do you think? Should, to see what we got. Should the episodes be two and a half hours long, Tony? I don't know. I, I don't have an attention span that long, so I can't say that. So There it is. <laughs> Sorry, sir. Tony voted no. Sorry. That's it. Exactly. That's it. Keith, I gave it. I served it up for Tony. Tony says short attention span makes perfect sense. Tony, before we get started, I know you and Keith have a lot to talk about in that, uh, you know, we're going to delve into ring seal and a couple of different things. Your engine building prowess, though, kind of spans various motorsports. Very often we'll speak with someone who they're specialized, right, whether they make their living in the sprint car world or the drag racing world and just running up and down the list of people you make power for, it's not only across all forms of motorsport, from drag racing to truck pulling, but within drag racing, you're doing big nitrous engines, you're doing stock eliminator engines for world champions. It's not like you have a niche. You seem to extend into all forms of drag racing and motorsports. Yep, 
Yeah, we, we do do just about everything, and, and I'm not sure why you think it would be easier if we specialized, but I, I enjoy doing you know, I enjoy doing everything, and maybe that's why, and I, I guess that's why we do it, uh, just because uh, I get bored pretty easy. So, you know, doing nitrous engines and turbo engines and truck pulling engines and supercharged engines, it, it keeps it keeps it definitely very interesting. So, well, it's interesting to me, and I think that's good for your uh, knowledge and what we're going to talk about here on Hidden Horsepower. Something I found interesting, though, is that you didn't start off wanting to build race engines or maybe you wanted to build race engines but where you made your initial money was stock engine rebuilds and the the lessons learned from that critical situation of not like the the pressure of not wanting that engine to come back to you helped you build high performance racing engines can you talk a little bit about that i thought that was very interesting well, definitely, you know, people think all oh, stock engines is much easier, but that's really not the case because you have to guarantee everything you do. So if it doesn't go out there and, you know, last 100,000 miles or more, people get upset with you. So it really, I think it sets the stage for doing better engines because uh, you truly learn what make how to make an engine live like that. And then uh, it just, you know, developed from there into, into race engines today. Now, stock rebuilds is not very popular anymore just because new cars ain't really designed to be rebuilt and plus it's hard to compete and with engine remanufacturers and make a living so but at that time you were and and tell me if I'm overstepping mm-hmm. here but almost I don't want to say redesigning but absolutely improving what the factory did like you'd look at an engine and say oh man this is something that is going to come back because it's just not right and that's the mentality that helped you build racing engines. Can dive in a little on that. Well, you know, absolutely. I, you know, we kind of learned what uh, how to uh, modify things a little bit to, to make them last longer, and also to uh, to get a little bit more power out of them. And naturally, being a, a hot rodder, we're always looking how to how to make something run better. So, I just uh, if we could do it without making the job more expensive, that's what we did. So, yeah. And uh, a couple of years doing that, got involved in racing, um, obviously being a hot rodder. But sand drags, that's kind of a cool way to get started. Uh, Tell me a little bit about uh, what you used to drive and being in the Midwest, like where is there sand? Mm, Well, we called it sand drags, but it (laughs) it really was dirt drags. Um, Occasionally you had a track that, you know, somebody put put pea gravel on or something and it then they called it sand drags, at least around here. Um, so it was really just dirt drags. And, got it. you know, I got started to that just because uh, there was some local dirt drags around here. And it was much closer than going to the drag strip. Um, and it was pretty popular around here in farm country. So that's how I got started into that. And, and it just morphed into to, uh, drag racing. And we kind of got involved into the NMCA streetcar world there in the mid-'90s. And it, it morphed from there, basically. So. You've certainly taken off. Keith, dive in here with a question. Well, yeah, Tony, one of the things that, you know, that I think, you know, you talked about, you know, building different engines. And one of the things that I run into uh, with certain shops that kind of become niche builders uh, is when you're doing that same thing over and over and over all the time, uh, not to say that you lose the challenge or perspective, uh, but you kind of get into a groove. And, uh, you know, looking at how you do things and knowing how you do things as a, you know, a, a complete engine program 
kind of a point of view, I would think the diversity of all these kind of engines helps keep you on your toes. You, you know, you see something in this engine that, hey, you know, we could apply that to this kind of an engine, whether it be circle track, drag race. You know, I, I would think being able to have all those different kinds of things coming through your door uh, will just say keeps you on your toes. You don't get complacent. You're always seeing and looking for new things. You know, you know we'll just say, correct me if I'm wrong. No, absolutely. It, uh, you know, you can learn something from anything, and and everything kind of flows over to each different application. So um, sometimes I wonder why I do everything, just because of the simple fact that uh, it seems like I'm wound tight all the time, and and, uh, and it kind of makes life a little rough sometimes. But uh, but it definitely makes it much more interesting. I know my employees they they talk about the fact that they get to do something different every day, and uh, so yeah, it. Uh, it, it can create its own set of problems, but uh, it sure makes life fun anyway. So, or, or job fun. So, keeping yeah. up, keeping up with the technology has uh, has been interesting, and a common thread through all of our guests has been an interest to keep up. And I would imagine you absolutely have to. But in the past, and and you tell me, but it seems like ten, twenty years, it's just been. A, a total assault of technology with the electronic fuel injection coming in and becoming really user-friendly, um, the turbochargers coming in, becoming commonplace, right? Like the last 20 years, turbos were not a thing, and now they're everywhere. Procharger, just technological leaps of the centrifugal supercharger, and every time something new is on the scene, and uh, you know how much relearning, re-education do you have to go through before you dive into a project? Well, you know, with the with the advent of fuel injection and user-friendly fuel injection is the key word right there, and uh, and also with the younger generation being a whole lot more computer-savvy than I am, I, I, I do struggle with that bad. So, um, But that, that was, is what makes the turbochargers and the superchargers and all of it uh, much better, because if you can't control the fuel and the and the the timing and, and the whole engine correctly, all that stuff just leads to disaster. I I, I used to be a carburetor guy and I still am, but uh, you know you can't you can't run a turbocharger or, or anything with big power with a carburetor these days. And so yeah, naturally that that's the real technology that I think has made you know the the boosted applications or any power adder application much much better than they used to be. You know, 15 years ago nobody knew how to do that stuff. So. So yeah, that was, uh, you know, that's the real difference in the electronic controls. Yeah, I, I agree with Tony in that respect completely. Um, it was eye-opening to me because of, uh, would you say, my age. Uh, I'm a carburetor guy as well, but I'm really embracing the, you know, the EFI and as Tony just said. I'll call it the easy-to-use EFIs that are now available. You don't have to have a PhD in, uh, you know, electronic fuel injection to understand it. Uh, and just a few weeks ago, oh, man, it's longer than that now, maybe a couple months ago now, I uh, spent a few days at, at Ben Strader's EFI University, uh, myself and Lake and uh, Ed Keebler and David from Rottler uh, were up there. And you know, Ben, uh, as the most gracious host, you know, kind of showed us. I mean, he had an engine on the dyno. You know, we, we put a dominator on it and ran it and, you know, played with it and fussed with it and, you know, you know took time to get the fuel curve dialed in and, you know, we'll say hour, hour and a half later, and X amount of pulls on this thing, we really got it pretty good. Uh, we put the fuel injection setup on it, fired it up, and I'm not joking, within three hits, bang, it's already corrected itself. We're right where the carburetor was. And 
it did it, you know, in a third the time. I was just blown away at how fast this thing, you know, learned what it needed to learn. And, you know, you know, did we get the same power? Yeah, we got almost identical numbers, but the amount of messing around we had to do with the carburetor to get it there. Uh, and I'm not trying to beat up carburetors. As I said, I'm a carburetor guy. Uh, it, it really opened my eyes to, you know, the modern fuel injection. Well, there's, there's no doubt that that's a big difference. You know, it was really the advent of the wideband O2 sensors that actually works correctly. That gives you a real accurate, uh, you know, air-fuel ratio that really is what made the uh, fuel injection what it is today. And it certainly helped, uh, you know, and even engine life a lot, just the fact that, you know, when you got the correct air-fuel ratio, you're not washing down the cylinder, the oil off the cylinder walls and running lean or whatever have you with the, what you're usually doing with the carburetor. So, yeah, that's definitely a huge, huge advantage to the performance world. Well, no, I wanted to I, just expand on that. It is, it is amazing because we get a lot of calls from a lot of people asking us about, you know, different rings and ring thicknesses and how long is this going to hold up and, you know, you know, are they going to last? Are they going to do these things? Or, you know, can I get this kind of time out of it? And it, you know, it blows me away, you know, looking at the mileage that, you know, NASCAR can get out of a set of rings today and, you know, V8 supercar in Australia and, you know, NHRA pro stock. And, uh, though, you know, from my side, it's not good for sales, uh, but it, it goes to the, you know, to the technology of the fuel injection and keeping that, as Tony said, that fuel management right, fuel wash down, you know, keeping detonation knock out of the engine, you know, just literally how much longer the parts are lasting. And, and it's all, you know, stems from, you know, from EFI and, you know, the dramatic improvement in efficiency. Absolutely. Makes a huge difference. What have you seen in terms of, Keith is obviously the ring seal guru, and, uh, over the course of Hidden Horsepower, we have heard so many people talk about him approaching with technology that is maybe, you know, new or something that you're not sure it's going to work. And then ultimately it ends up working. Do you have any uh, stories like that where maybe you wanted to push the edge of the envelope or they suggested that uh, you guys should try something new and... Uh, you know, maybe it worked out, maybe it didn't work out, but it was a le- learning experience. Well, absolutely. You know, when it comes to horsepower, especially in a in a naturally aspirated situation, you know, always the thinner rings, they make more power and they seal better. Um, you know, I was always worried about them you know, holding up for uh, any amount of time because they're so light. But uh, but really, they, uh, you know, they hold up well and, and the, the thinner ring just plain makes more power. So I'd, I've never had them steer me wrong in that in that kind of uh, situation, but you know, naturally, depending on the uh, the situation, you know, power outer stuff. Naturally, you can't run as light a ring because it uh, it can't handle the heat as long. But uh, really, I've never had them steer me wrong. So, yeah. And Keith, what's it like working with Tony on uh, so many varied projects? Well, you know, the, the nice thing, you know, one of the nice things about working with Tony is. Is, is one is knowledge level. I mean, Tony is, you know, you know, pretty humble when you talk about this kind of stuff, but the man's one engine master six times. You know, that, that says, you know, that speaks volumes. That's not an easy competition. These are bringing out, you know, the best of the best creative thinkers. Some of the absolutely insane things that I've seen done at engine masters, I would have never thought of in my life, but these guys are coming up with that. So, you know, the, 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 the great thing about working with Tony and guys like Tony is the open-mindedness. 
uh, you know, hey, what do you think about this? Well, you know, he'll come in, hey, we're building one of these, we're working on that. You know, what do you think about this ring? Do we want a gapless ring? Do we want a conventional ring? Do we want, you know, what about a Napier? We we talk. You know, that it's not just, oh, hey, send me this. You know, we talk about it. And and what, you know, do we want to put a gas-ported ring in it? Do we want to do a gas-ported ring with a gas-ported piston? You know, we're, we're bouncing ideas. And that's the, the you know, that fluid dynamic of, of, you know, we'll say sussing it out, you know, and building something specific for a given application is, is one of the great things about working with a guy like Tony. And, you know, and, you know, again, open to talking about, you know, cylinder bore finishes. What, you know, what do you think about this? What about these values, these numbers, you know, bore geometry, you know, the whole package approach. And, you know, that, and again, is what's great about working with Tony. You know, yeah, you never, you think rings is pretty simple, even, you know, home, home jobs is simple, but it's amazing how, how more in depth we get with cylinder ball finishes and the different, uh, different levels of, you know, the peaks of your bores and the valleys of the bores and the, and the core, the core finish of the bores. You think, you know, that gets pretty complicated. You wouldn't, it's surprising. And this is the great thing about working with Keith is, you know, you can talk about different power levels and different fuels and, and stuff like and how much you have to change that um, when you're doing different stuff like alcohol for sure adds a whole other realm of problems when you run that because it washes the cylinders down so bad so keeping a oil film on there becomes pretty difficult and we've been working with Keith a lot with that and we still haven't at least I haven't personally figured out how to do that exactly right but we're we're getting there so now, now the six-time engine master deal. I want to I want to mention that just because it's such a it's such a major headline, right? The horsepower king. That's a rep. That's a rep that you carry around, right? Like there he goes, the horsepower king. Yep, I even got a jacket from there that says that. So I I, I claim that one. So, <laughs> but you know the engine masters that that is a cool competition just because of the simple fact that uh, you know, like he said, you got. 40 engine builders from all over the country, and you, you compete to make the best average power. And so, so you learn a lot with that contest. It's not about just peak power; it's about uh, you know getting the best average power, and that that's what makes any car faster. So, uh, yeah, that that uh, that was a very interesting thing to do. On so we're looking forward in the future to maybe doing some more of that, but we'll see what the future holds. But uh, but yeah, that was uh, that's a lot of fun. Well, he, well, one of the things, Tony, you know, uh, again, kind of knowing, you know, like on your phone advertisement, talking about port flow numbers, you know, really is, you know, granted, is that a value? Yes, that's a value, but it's really not the thing. It, it's, you know, it's all, you know, what kind of power does it make? And I, I really feel, you know, again, our conversations talking about the whole thing is a combination. And one of the things, you know, you mentioned earlier is building, you know, like performance. You know, streetcar stuff is not just race car engines. It's everything. It's circle track. It's sand drags. It's, you know, it's boats, planes, trains, and automobiles, as I like to say. Uh, it's everything. And one of the things that I, I, I run into on a daily basis is these high-horsepower streetcar guys trying to get them to wrap their head about, around it that it's not, it, you know, it may make 2,000 horsepower, but it's still a streetcar. And, and what they miss is, you know, it's not about the power level. It's about how you drive it and the things that street cars have to do that race cars don't, meaning, you know, they don't have to sit and idle at stoplight for five minutes. They're not cruising down the freeway, you know, at 65 miles an hour, part throttle, you know, making intake vacuum. And, and why, you know, maybe that trick of the week ring 
that you read about, you know, from you know from somebody that's you know a point five millimeter, which is a phenomenal part in a naturally aspirated cup race engine. I don't mean trickle of wheat, by the way. Uh, maybe that's not right for their twin turbo LS making two thousand horsepower. Maybe we need to build some resiliency and some durability. And again, my whole point is taking the whole, you know, looking at the whole package approach. And, and I think that's a big part of what Tony does and, and part of the reason he gets the reliability. And, again, your, your comments there, Tony. You know, the streetcar world, that's, that's a very frightening world for me because I get customers that tell me, oh, you know, I want 1,200 rear-wheel horsepower, 1,500 rear-wheel horsepower, and drive it on the street. And, uh, and that's really so unrealistic because what Keith just just mentioned, you know, you know, in a drag race world, you completely control the temperature. You know, you're only running for six, eight, ten seconds or whatever, and that's easy. But on the street world, if you've got 1,500 horsepower and uh, with everything in perfect conditions, and then you go out and it's 220 degrees and you try to run it there, and uh, it usually ends up in disaster: blown head gaskets, burnt pistons, you name it, and. Uh, so that's really, I think that's an unrealistic world, and, and people ask me about that all the time, and I and I tell them that, uh, you know, first of all, what do you need 1,500 horsepower because you can't actually floor it? So, so that does re- present a whole set of problems that uh, that we have to deal with, and uh, and usually I try to talk people to a little bit more manageable power level, just so we don't have to see it back with t- broken parts and burnt pistons and whatever. So, yeah, that is a that's a that's a thing in itself. There's something to that, though, right? Let's explore it a, a little more deeply because the only reason that's a problem is because now it's possible to do. Uh, years oh, a, years ago, it was yep. not uh, a challenge. You'd never had that guy come into your office and ask for 1,500 horsepower while he's stuck in traffic on the 405 in California <laughs> because you, nobody could do that. That was not an option. <laughs> Unobtainium. It was yeah. unobtainium, but now it is, and you guys are having to push against that. And I can imagine you're trying to talk customers like, hey, just because we can do it, it might not be the best thing. It's better to have, and please uh, tell me what you think the best range might be, 850 horsepower you can actually hook up and drive around as opposed to 1,500 that's going to cause you problems. Well, absolutely, yeah, you're right. Uh, you know, with the with so much better cars and tires, you can actually hook up a thousand horsepower at least once you hit sixty or eighty mile an hour. Um, but, but how fast do you really need to go? But but that is you're absolutely right. It is a it is in the realm of possibilities. Uh, so yeah, it's you know we we deal with it every day. But it's still uh, you know I'm a drag race guy, so I like to I don't like to I don't want to, I think about crashing at one hundred ninety mile an hour. So I, I personally don't see a reason that I would ever want that, but uh, a lot of people, that's what they want. So. No, I, I totally understand. As someone who uh, has a passion for drag racing as well, I uh, I wonder those things as well. Like, hey, 2,000 horsepower, you can't use. What's the point? But then again, <laughs> I get it. Now, Tony, you make, uh, you, you've built engines for Allison Smith, who has won Stock Eliminator World Championships, which is uh, great. Yep. But also... The factory showdown stuff, which is kind of like two ends of the opposite spectrum, the most ragged edge of stock eliminator and the factory showdown stuff, and then stock eliminator. Uh, how are they different? How are they the same? And talk a little bit about some of these showdown engines, which are 
capturing the imagination. Everybody is uh, loving the category. It's amazing to see stock eliminator style cars running the sevens with superchargers. And uh, these are, you know, factory style engines. Well, that, that class is, you know, it is a really cool class. It's, it's a very expensive class because, uh, because it is a cool class and people want to run it. And, and the more people that uh, can afford to run it, uh, you know, the more expensive it becomes. Now, naturally, you know, they got, you know, 320 or 360 cubic inch engines. And uh, with a lot of compression, with, you know, 20 pounds of boost, depends on the, uh, you know, the Ford Chrysler or Chevy that you're running. But, uh, but yeah, that's a real cool class. But it does, uh, it offers its own set of problems because you have now three different brands trying to compete against each other. And NHRA tries to keep the, the playing field even. So they're constantly, if you get one combination, it runs really fast, and then they, they might hit it with a pulley change. So now it brings them back into line and makes another combination, uh, you know, the top of the heap. But, uh, so it does present its own set of complications there, but it's still a, still a cool class. Like you said, a 3,600-pound car that really is a you know, stock body for the most part that runs 760s, 780s. So, it, yeah, it's, it's cool. 1,500 horsepower out of a more or less a, a street engine. So, I, I agree with them. I mean, it, it's one of the things that I would love to see happen. And here's the thing. you know, Some people, when the factory shootout cars first came out, said, oh, hey, it's the new pro stock. It should replace pro stock. You, know, uh, you heard that all the time. And I, what I'd love to see is, and I love NHRA pro stock. I love pro stock cars. I don't want to see that change in any way, shape, or form. But like the old pro stock cars, I would love to see maybe like a factory shootout experimental where, okay, we can, you know, we can put a tube chassis in it. We can put some big tires underneath the back, you know, put the safety equipment in that you know, is required and, and kind of take the handcuffs off a little bit. Let's see, let's see how fast these new engine platforms can go. You know, like the old, you know, like say the old FX programs, you know, I, I, I don't know. That's just me kind of pipe dreaming and I'm sure it cost a billion dollars to do it, but uh, I think the fans that dig it and, you know, how, you know, Hey, what's it take to put one of these things in the sixes? You know, uh, you know, I think it'd be kind of cool. <laughs> yeah. That would be a different world for sure. I, I have never really thought about that. So I, I, I don't have too much to say about that. Let's make them have clutches uh, while we're rewriting the rule book, right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> a- absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Well, but, you guys like the hard way. <laughs> yes. Well, we're not doing it, Tony. Yeah, liberty is required. Yeah. <laughs> but but to that point, though, uh, your origin story of working as a regular mechanic and as a machine shop on stock engines that you didn't want to ever see come back into the shop and have to warranty the work, um, dealing with factory parts is my point. And now what you see coming out of the factories with these showdown engines, we all know that if you're going to compete at that highest level, as great as the engine is from the factory, it's not what's going to put you in the winner's circle. That's why they come to you, uh, you know, the horsepower king. But those factory engines that you're disassembling and re-engineering to make them as perfect as is possible, how far have they come? Uh, since the stuff that you were working on back in the day. Now, I know it's a race engine, but uh, what's rolling out of these factories as race engines, when you tear them apart, do you still find many things that you like to re-engineer? Well, there's always stuff to re-engineer, always. You know, there's always, everything can be better. Naturally, when the the OEMs are making it, they have to try to design in some dependability and and, uh, and profitability as far as, you know, how 
how much they have in them to build them. So there's always stuff that we can do, but but you're right, the late model stuff is so many miles ahead, you know, in their in their port design and cam staff design, and you know, you know, a lot of them, you know, the Fords have four valves per cylinders and stuff. So you know, they're so far ahead of a 1980s engine that it's unbelievable. But at the same time, like you said, uh, there's always something to improve on as far as port design and valves and cams and induction and so that that keeps us busy for sure so. tony the technology has advanced from the factory what about the aftermarket like total seal for instance we're talking about rings have you seen their product get better oh absolutely you know i i noticed uh occasionally we'll leak down brand new engines that's never been started and these rings are so round when they're new that if you leak a motor down without even starting it breaking the rings in that they leak perfect um, so th- that quality has made my life a whole lot easier because you don't have to worry about uh, the ring sealing, really. Um, it, uh, it just, yeah, you know, getting the engine to, to pull 20-plus inches of vacuum is, is easy these days, whereas 20 years ago that was that was a tough deal. So, so yeah, they, they've definitely stepped their game up in making stuff round and flat and precision. One of the things that I get, and like I said before, we field so many phone calls, and, you know, so many of the young guys are on the phone, and, and what Tony just said, they've, they've watched YouTube, they've read the book, they've read all this stuff on the Internet, but they're not, they've never, their hands have never done this before. And I've, I, I feel such a, we'll say, a, a, a paranoia, if that's the right word to use, of making a mistake. Uh, you know, oh, I overfiled the rings 4,000. That's not going to hurt anything, dude. Put it in. You know, it, it's, you, you've got such a paranoia of screwing up. And, and from where I am, just like the Pontiac thing that Tony mentioned, is we learn from our mistakes, folks. So embrace the mistake. If you have screwed up, hey, you screwed up. You know, it's, it's, we learn from that. Don't be afraid of it. That's how we learn things. Absolutely. And you're, and you're right. That's truly the only – this is the best way. I know it sounds bad, but it's the best way to learn because you don't forget and you see firsthand – Every little thing, you know, it's it sounds simple, even sliding a piston into a, a bore, but having a having a good quality ring funnel and even the knowledge of just you know what it should take to put it in the bore and, and understanding, you know, what what oil ring tension and stuff like it is and having it to check that is a is a, you know a big plus. That uh, the only way you're going to learn it is just to do it. So. All the different engine platforms and all the different things you you've worked on, Tony, and and I'll just touch base on what he said. You know, from a you know a manufacturing machining point of view, the late model engines that I've gotten to take a look at, uh, unbelievable the quality level of what they've done. Now, granted, they still have you know restrictions. They've got to have a warranty. They've got to hit a price point, profitability. You know, the power level they want it to make, not necessarily what the end user wants it to be. But uh, amazing to me how good they are. But with all of that said, is there you know, a form of racing, an engine platform, you know, something you haven't dove into yet, Tony, that you're kind of chomping at the bit, uh, you know, to, to tackle, land speed, you know. Uh, you know, there, is there something out there that, you, you know, you, is on your bucket list to build? You know, oddly enough, no. I must be getting <laughs> too old. I, 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 you know what, I always just enjoy improving on what, what, improving on what people bring to me so i really don't have anything that i would like to do other than you know what customers ask me to do so uh you know i i never realized that until you just asked me that question but uh i don't uh i don't have anything that i'm currently thinking about that i would like to do so 
Yeah. Life is complete. There, there. <laughs> you know, you think I, I, I <laughs> it must be. Let me come at it. <laughs> let me come at it from another way, though, Tony, in that, OK, if that is, in fact, the case, as you look back, what are some of the things you're most proud of having worked on and accomplished? Like when you look back, like, all right, that's great. We talked about six time engine master, et cetera. But what about your personal uh, your pride for something, a challenge you took took on and accomplished uh, as you look back at your career? Well, you know. I'm a real competitive person, so you know anything I get into, I, I you know I, I want to win and do well. But as far as anything in particular, you know, naturally the engine masters is probably my my proudest moment. I remember the first one we won. That was uh, that was huge. You know, when you you're competing against guys like John Cosy and, and and all the other guys that there, just you know they're probably as passionate or more than I am about stuff. And, and naturally, uh, what I found in in life and in the engine world. Uh, the more I worked, the harder I worked, the longer I worked at it, the better we did. And so that's just, you know, pretty well normal lessons in life. If you have to succeed, you just got to bust your butt. But as far as anything in particular, you know, I, you know, I, the engine masters and when I first started racing, you know, I started out in Sand Dragon and then I did so well with that that I kind of got a little bored with it. So then we moved on to the streetcar world and I think I went into a class called Hot Street and, uh, 1999 that's a long time ago and i think i won the championship after the second or third year i was in that and that that was cool and then uh i kind of quit driving after that but we ran you know i think it was called super street or something in nmca and we did real well in that and, and uh then i ran the pro 50 uh nmra with my old cougar and i i won a championship there and uh you know you know everything I've done like that. It just uh, I don't. It seems like if I fall into it, I. But I, since I'm competitive, I. You know I. I do well just because I. I, I work hard, I guess. So. Oh, a- absolutely. Like you said, if it was easy, everybody'd do it. And I think that, you know, is, is kind of a common thread. You know, what Tony just said with guys, that we deal with this industry that are or within this industry that are like-minded to Tony. You know, if they take on a project. Uh, they're not taking it on to be the second best. You know, they they want to put the work in, do the research, test the parts, you know, push the envelope, uh, you know, to find that championship, to be that winner, to be the best there is. And, and I think that you know, guys like Tony that are driven to do this are what keep pushing this industry further and further. I know, you know, from a ring point of view, uh, that's what pushes us. You know, is, is the guys like Tony. I mean, nobody ever ever asks us, you know to knock 15 or 20 horsepower out of their car. I can't imagine anybody ever walks into Tony's shop and, you know, it just makes too much steam. You know, what can we do? Can we put a smaller carburetor or smaller injectors? Uh, they, they never come at us and ask us for a ring that's going to knock power out. It's always what's new, what can we do to make more? And, and I think that's, you know, kind of what drives the guys like Tony because they're the ones that drive us to keep improving. Yep, absolutely. Always just uh... – striving for the extra five, extra ten, and, and and you're always just changing stuff constantly and uh, trying to figure out what, what works the best. So. I mean, looking at all the new stuff that you see, especially like the new Coyote platforms and, you know, the multi cam, you know, overhead cams, multi-valve engines, uh, you know, the thin ring technologies that the factories have embraced, uh, amazing to me how thin some of the stuff is out of the OEs these days, uh, you know, the technologies that we have. Do you see an area, Tony, where there's, you know, we'll say, the fives, the tens to find? Or do you think they're, 
you know, we're down to the ones and twos. They're that refined. Is there an area in these things where you, you know, hey, you know, they're leaving it on the table on the cylinder finish. They're leaving it on the table on the cylinder head. Or, you know, the manifold has a lot to be desired. I, I didn't know if there was any, you know, not asking for, it is hidden horsepower. So I guess I'm asking for the secrets. Where, where do you think the next thing is on, on any specific thing you have in mind? You know, that's a good question, and, and I really don't have an answer for it because, like you said, everything is getting so much more refined. The uh, the gains are getting smaller and smaller. So, you know, i got to think, and I don't know where it's at, that we got to think out of the box a little bit at this point to see any real big gains. And uh, and uh, that's where we need to go, really. got to think a bit out of the box because it's, you know, how much more power you're going to get, you know, out of a ring that's already 23 thousandths wide or um, – and stuff like that. So maybe, maybe a little bit more. You know, the ring seal's so good. I don't see how uh, how much power can you get when you get a motor that leaks down. You know, zero to one percent, or or has you know virtually zero blow by while they're making a thousand horsepower. How much power is going to be gained there? So there's got to be. We just got to think out of the box and come up with some new stuff early. But uh, I really don't have anything in particular that I've come up with. So I. I I don't have anything for you there. So. And if you did, well, well, would you just tell we'll keep us? Keep working on it with you, though. <laughs> right. If you did, would you just tell us and put it out there like that? <laughs> would I? Would I? Uh, <laughs> well, if I did have any ideas, I would. But I right now I don't got no. I, I got a couple things in the back of my head, but they're just kind of rolling around right now. So I, <laughs> so I might have to come up with something new, I guess. So. I got you. All right. At the end of every episode, we ask our guest for some advice for the next generation. I want to mention that to you so you start kind of stewing on it because it's become a thing and so much great advice. But I do want to ask you, another thing I notice about your career is that uh, you've raced Fords, you've worked on Chryslers, you've won the Engine Masters with a Hemi, you seem to cross manufacturer lines, and not everybody does that. And uh, I find it to be interesting. So you've got great experience with all the OEs, uh, or certainly the ones involved in drag racing, what are some of your opinions on the engines out there? Having had experience, seeing that you mentioned the four-valve Coyote, you've uh, worked on the modern Hemis, of course, you've done more than your fair share of small-block Chevrolets. Uh, speak on the engine architecture and uh, the people that like to argue about which is the best. Who's right? Well, you know, I don't think anybody's right. You know, I like them all. And, uh, and if I have a customer come in with a Chevy, I typically will make fun of Chevys uh, just because uh, – or if they have a Ford, I'll make fun of Ford just because uh, that's that's half the fun, I think, in the in the racing world. But uh, I really don't have a preference. You know, I, I, I made a mistake once in telling a customer who had a Pontiac motor that it didn't know it was a Pontiac because he was saying he, it, he had to run at 9,200 RPM. And the next pass, it, it kicked a rod out. So I don't, I don't think I'm going to say that too much anymore, but uh, – uh, for the most part, engine doesn't know what brand it is. It's just got all the same parts in it. So, uh, but uh, but you know, I don't have a favorite. Uh, you know, I, I I like the the old platforms, the new platforms. You know, I, the Gen 3 Hemi I think is, a, is an awesome engine. We do a lot of them. It's a great street motor and it's a great drag race motor. And the LS is awesome, and even the original small blocks awesome. But uh, I do have a few pet peeves in some of these race engines when they put head bolts and intake ports and stuff like that. I think that's ignorant. But uh, but for the most part, I have no preference on any of them. It had to be a Pontiac guy that gave you trouble, right? Well, we do a lot of Pontiac engines, believe it or not. And uh, and it didn't know it was a Pontiac when the rod broke neither, but that was just my bad luck when I told him that. So. <laughs> 
Well, 9,200, knowing what I know about uh, original Pontiac architecture, 9,200 seems a little high. Well, it's pretty high, but you know it was (laughs) aluminum rod, and it was a Bryant crank, and it it, it had all good stuff. But uh, so them parts didn't know they was in a Pontiac, and uh, it turned out that it was just really, um, it needed a little bit more oil pressure to keep the rods lubed. So that was the engine builder's probably fault. Not at fact that it was a Pontiac, so. <laughs> so, but yeah. but you learned from that one, didn't you, Tony? Next time you oh, build a 9200 RPM Pontiac, I you're going to jack that oil volume up. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did learn the hard way. Unfortunately, when you jack the oil volume up, you know, it knocked 5 or 10 horsepower off of it, too. But that's still way better than, than having a hole in the side, so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, better than a window in the block any day. Yep, absolutely, so. Uh, Tony, like I say, it, you know, this this one's going to be kind of horrible, and it just popped into my head. If you had to do it all over again, would you do anything different? You know, absolutely not. I don't think so. You know, I'm the kind of guy that learns everything the hard way, and I really don't think I would learn if I didn't do it that way. So I, I, I can't think of anything I would do different. I, it's been a great career, and I still enjoy getting up every day and, and doing this stuff. So uh, I, don't, I don't think I'd do anything different other than, you know what, it, I'm 58 years old, so when I went to school, there was no computers. I, I, I sure wish I took a little bit more interest in the computer world, so uh, the fuel injection would be a lot easier for me. So, But that, that would be really the only thing different. And that's a perfect segue to our uh, you know, cornerstone of hidden horsepower, where we imagine that there is another generation that wants to follow in your footsteps and they want to know how to get from where they are. Maybe that regular mechanic who's working on uh, engines and not wanting to ever see it again, uh, but would dream of being a high-performance engine builder. What advice, or making a living in the industry, period, what advice would you give to that person to help them advance their career, their lives, and build uh, great engines? Well, you know, the First advice is, is it will never be easy to be successful at anything. So, yeah, you've got to be prepared to work hard. Um, the, the new generation, you know that, you know, the computer part of it is going to be much easier for them. I see that to be way easier for them. But where I, I see them struggle is maybe a little bit of the hands-on, you know, the nuts and bolts of the thing. So, you know, don't uh, look at that a little bit harder uh, to make them both come together and and, you know, they're, they're going to be successful, more successful. So it's, uh, yeah, just uh, really work hard. That's it. So. Work hard. Always great <laughs> advice. Listen, it, it absolutely. Don't get no easier net. And don't watch, yeah, don't spend uh, hour upon hour just watching TV unless it's YouTube and Total Seal Piston Running's page. Yep. Tony, yep. Gr- great job. Really appreciate you coming on the show. Learned a lot, and uh, that's what Hidden Horsepower is all about. Uh, I can tell that the phones are ringing off the hook over there at BES Racing Engines. That's got to be a good sound for you. It is a good sound, except when you're so busy you can't get nothing done, but uh, you gotta you got to talk to customers, too. Keith, you wouldn't know anything about that, would you? <laughs> no, 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 not at all. Yeah, it's just, I'm looking at the phone bank right now as, as we're doing this, and I'm seeing a lot of lines on hold. So we'll just say I, I definitely get it, Tony. It's a, it's a crazy busy time, and it's great. Uh, the industry's alive. It's you know it's cranking. It's busier than I've ever seen it, or at least any memory in the last 20 years of it. So it's a uh, it's it's great to see everything rebounding the way that it is. And and uh, and I and I just got to say to Tony, it's it's funny, you know, depending on a part of the country, you know, I get so many phone calls from different people all over, and 
you know, who's your guy, who you're working with. You know, they've got honing questions. They've got ring questions. You know, just, just all kinds of questions. We feel the mountain of questions every day. And, you know, it, it's funny is in, in that part of the country, and this is not taking anything away from any other shop out there, but the amount of people that say, well, where are you located? Well, I'm in, you know, South Illinois, or I'm in, you know, I'm in Western Ohio, or I'm in, you know, I'm, I'm over here, over there. Where, who, who does your work? Ah, Tony Bischoff. Tony Bischoff. Tony Bischoff. I mean, the reason his phone's ringing because I hear that all the time, and that's a real compliment, uh, you know, to these guys because they, they've got such a reputation for putting out quality work. Uh, you know, it, it, like I say, it almost, you know, precedes them, and that's a, that's a real tip of the hat and a compliment to you. Well, thank you. That's a, that is a good compliment. And we are staying busy. And like you said, despite all the silly stuff going on, this is a booming world right now. Everybody loves to go fast and wants to, wants to hot rod their stuff. So, yeah. Excellent. Tony, thank you very much for spending time with us today on Hidden Horsepower. Really appreciate it. You did a great job. And uh, I'm just excited that you, uh, you get to dive back into something you love. Thank you for sharing it with us. Thank you. And there he goes. The Horsepower King, Tony Bischoff. Keith, that was a great one. Learned a lot. And across manufacturers, across motorsports, from the street to the strip and beyond. And he has, uh, you know, one thing he would look back on and do a little bit differently. And the answer is get involved in computers early on. Yeah, absolutely. That's one of the things. you know, I'm no computer guru or anything like that, but I'm not afraid of them. I know so many people, Joe, you had mentioned your age. I'm in the same age bracket, and so many people, especially the generations that are a little older than us, uh, just, will say, stymied by computer technology. And, and it, it, you know, again, when I first started messing around with just, you know, playing around with DOS back in the day and, you know, and jumped on it, and like we've talked about so many things, it's really kind of hard to screw up these days. Back in those days, you could put one wrong character in and you were dead. Uh you know, they're pretty bulletproof today. So, you know, jump in there, start plunking on the keys, you know, play with things, learn, you know, learn, bottom line, learn new things. And uh, it's just going to benefit you in the end. Well, it's funny you say that because that's um, that's like a lesson for life. Like the day uh, as we get older, we wonder what it is that makes us old, at least for me. Like, am I old yet? You know, like, uh, oh, man, I don't know that song. Do I, does that mean I'm old? That kind of thing. And I, I feel like I've defined it. You become old the second you stop trying to learn new technology. And the technology just, like, advances past you, and you're one of those people, no offense to them, it's just the way it is. Uh, like, oh, the, the new technology, I don't know what it is. Guess what? Now you're old, just like that. Uh, but as long as you're trying to keep up the mobile devices, the phones, how often do people, like, they try to do something on their phone and they don't know what to do? It's because it's been made so easy, it doesn't seem like it should be that easy. Just touch it? Yeah, just touch that, and then you're good. You're connected, video, audio, you're talking to your friends around the world, there's a group of you. Um People don't think things could be that easy. And from what I understand with a lot of this self-teaching EFI or just inputting values, a lot of it has been handled by the geniuses so that you can work with it as a non-genius. Completely agree. I remember you know, the, the very early, early EFI systems and as stated, literally having to be a rocket scientist. I remember you know, having access one time into a, a factory GM, you know, fuel curve and timing tables and just looking at it going, oh, my gosh, I mean, you know, we'll be here for years trying to, you know, to input all this data and figure out all this data, you know, into a factory ECU and uh, just how easy the aftermarket fuel injection systems have become. I mean, 
to say the word plug and play, uh, it is pretty much. I mean, there's a little bit of data that's got to go in there, but it, they are amazingly sussed out these days. It, it's incredible how how easy they've become. And the making a mistake isn't as, as critical as it might have been back in the day also, because you can uh, you know undo or go back and uh, change things in a way that uh, will get things right. And all the tech and all the people, the Keith Joneses of the world that are out there to help you. And uh, another great episode in the books, Keith, for the people out there who are thinking, man, uh, I want that amazing ring seal that Tony was talking about. Uh, who should they call? What should they do? And who's on the other end of the phone? Yeah, just, just give us a reach out. You know, TotalSeal.com is the website. There's a tremendous amount of information there, application, access to the podcast links, uh, YouTube videos that we've done you know, about you know, ring-involved you know, building techniques, ring filing, all of that. You can always find resources at the website. But at the same time, if not, all of our contact information is on there. Uh, myself, Kev, Bobby, Rye, you know, Matt, we're all, we're all on there. We're here, to, we're here to help you. And as I've said so many times, we want to hear from you. you know, just like dealing with Tony, you know, he'll call me. We'll bounce ideas around. And, and, and get it down to what's right for your application because there is no one thing that's right for everything. So once we know what it is you're doing, this is what we expect out of it, we can outline a whole package for you. And as I always say, make us your first call, not your last. Excellent. He's Keith Jones, the Director of Technical Sales at Total Seal Piston Rings. I'm Joe Costello. Keith, great job. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. Thanks again, Joe. And uh Looks like the you know the circuit's going, racing's back. I hope to see you soon at the track. I agree. Keith, thank you very much. And to all of you out there listening to Hidden Horsepower presented by Total Seal, there are more episodes. If you haven't already checked out the full archive, subscribe on Apple Podcast, Spotify, SoundCloud. Go to the TotalSeal.com website. All of the episodes are right there, plus the Facebook page and the Hidden Horsepower Facebook group. Just ask for an invitation and you will be in. And there is so much information being shared. It has been tremendous. And if you've got someone you'd like to hear on Hidden Horsepower, let us know because we have got so many different shows that are coming your way. Why not one that is audience selected? Fire it off. All right, everybody, that's going to do it. Thank you very much to Keith Jones. Thank you very much to Tony Bischoff. My name's Joe Costello. You can follow me at WFO Joe on my podcast, WFO Radio. We talk drag racing on a regular basis. That's going to do it. We'll see you next time on Hidden Horsepower, presented by Total Seal.